You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 100. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. This week, we will, uh, it's an anniversary segment uh, or a session of sorts. Uh, it is our 100th episode and we will be handling, we will not be handling, sorry, any listener questions on our Your Stock, Our Take segment. On the show, we feel it more important today to deal with the markets generally and we'll touch on a variety of topics, including the COVID-19 virus, how it's affecting the markets and how we see a, a slowdown in the markets and a lot of fear out there today. So we address a number of topics. Um, we also wanted to announce, just to kick off the show, uh, I'm welcoming Aaron and Brennan again with me this week. How are you guys doing? Well, that's uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, we're, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're managing, let's just say that, like, like, yeah, like everybody else. For sure. You, though, must be happy to be back at home. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about our se- seminar, sorry, in a second uh, online. Uh, I'll get into that. Then I'll tell you about my journey back uh, from Iceland where uh, you almost got uh, stranded. We went through the traveling process. Yeah, we almost got stranded. So I'm going to say that we have moved as everybody has really moved their uh, seminars or business online. Uh, our in-person DIY seminars have now been moved to three sessions that'll be live streaming our 2020 COVID crisis portfolio building. So strategies to survive, then thrive. There'll be two hour live streaming seminars. Uh, you can access them anywhere on any device, your desktop, laptop, or, laptop, or phone. Um, our live webinars, the crisis portfolio building seminar start on March 31st at 7 p.m. Pacific. That's the first one. That is already around 75% sold. Uh, Our second webinar is a week later on April 7th at uh, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, And our third seminar is an Eastern Time at 7 p.m. on April 14th, so a week following that. Uh, Seminars will have uh, relatively similar content. Uh, but we will be going through topics such as why sustainable dividend growth stocks that pay you while you wait are key in any crisis, why cash-rich stocks are king of any crisis, which to buy and which to avoid right now, why trying to pick an exact bottom in this type of market is a fool's game. We show you a simple strategy to layer into great stocks and decrease risk in a down market. 
We're going to look at some investment themes for the next decade, alternative energy, cloud computing, cybersecurity, and artificial intelligence. Find out which are right for your portfolio in a crisis situation. We're going to talk about how uh, we've been through two crises here at Keystone over the past 20 plus years. The 20, the last one being the 20, 2008, 2009 uh, financial crisis. At that point, we recommended two companies right away coming out of that. One was the Boyd Group. One was Cabro Linens. Very essential uh, recession-resistant businesses. Boyd Group was at $2.30. It turned out to be the top performing stock over the next 12 years. So today we are on the hunt to find the next game-changing stocks for your portfolio. Just $20,000 put into Boyd uh, during that crisis would have netted you over $1.4 million today, even with the decline we've seen in the market. So finding out if stocks generally are cheap or expensive, in our opinion right now, how to simplify your portfolio, pay less fees, that live seminar will end with a Q&A session with myself and Aaron. Plus, we'll give you five stocks to start buying in positions now in your portfolio for long-term gains. So that's a summary of those seminars. We encourage you, uh, like we said, the first seminar, Aaron was on Money Talks this weekend. We'll get on to the, get into that in a second as well. But uh, that's 75% sold already uh, in about two days since we put that out there. So uh, there's big demand for this. We encourage you, if you want to attend that, log on to www.keystocks.com. Look up in the right corner in the big box. Look at my face, Aaron's face. Everybody wants to see them right now, I'm sure. Uh, you click on that, buy a ticket, get to that event, and we'll provide you some, uh, hopefully some calming advice in a really fear-driven market. So, Aaron, you wanted me to talk about my journey back. Well, I, you, you were almost stuck there in Iceland. I mean, you were stuck there for a couple of yeah. days. Um, I'm really glad to, to, to see you back, mostly because I would have had to do a lot of your work if you were still there. Um, but sure, why don't you <laughs> take a little bit and tell us about that experience? Because I'm sure it must have been, you were with your family, yeah, well, I'm sure it must have been very, uh, very stressful. It's stressful mainly when you're with your family, right? And, and, and you just want to keep your family safe, get everybody back. Uh, we... We're scheduled to come back on Thursday of last week, and uh, you know, about three hours before the flight, we we're just picking up to go to the airport, um, and we got the notification that our flight had been canceled, and we would receive a uh, news on when we'd be rescheduled in some time in the future. But uh, they had a, experiencing high call volumes, so we try to call in, you know, spend an hour or two on hold. Don't get through. Fortunately, we were on Iceland Air, and their head office was literally right next door to our hotel. So I marched over and basically stood in the office saying, um, I'm not leaving until you uh, get me on a plane out of here with my family. And uh, they really, I mean, they couldn't do much. They were very helpful. They tried to be very helpful there. Uh, they handle most of it at the airport. So we were told to go to the airports, jumped in a cab, flew out there. Uh, got in front of their sales staff and they said, oh, well, you, you should have been received an email already. Your flight's rescheduled for tomorrow and we hadn't received anything. She clicked a button, then we received the email. So we were then rerouted to, instead of, we had a one-way flight right back to um, uh, Vancouver, but we were rerouted through Toronto. So we went through Toronto uh, and then uh, had a three-hour layover there. The next day we flew out um, and we, we kind of gave a chair when the airline uh, you know, came off the ground uh, in Iceland. The whole plane did. It was a jammed plane, uh, which uh, 
it's hard to do social distancing on a, in a Jones plane, but we flew into Toronto and, um, I have to say the people in Iceland and the response they had there, uh, we had anywhere you did a transaction, anywhere you did anything, there was, um, hand sanitizer, uh, signs up about social distancing. So when I flew into Toronto, I had heard, you know, we're listening back to news from back home and our PM was stating and the PM's office was stating that we had additional screening methods uh, back in, you know, at our main three or four airports that were open. Well, uh, a couple observations. The additional screening that we have heard about from the PM's office appeared to be limited to a couple additional questions on a screen, including where did you come from? And it was essentially, did you come from Europe or other places? Um, and are you feeling ill? Well, to me, it makes a big difference. And the information would have been valid whether or not we're coming from Iceland or, for example, Italy. But uh, that wasn't, uh, we never had the ability to provide that at all. Uh, then we faced a, an actual customs official. And we were just told at that point to self-quarantine. And that was about it. We were handed a piece of paper about self-quarantining. That was the extent of the additional screening that we're seeing um, at the airport and at the vendors at the airport, there was no additional hand sanitizer or anything like that. No, I understand that washing your hands with soap and water is the best thing to do, but uh, people were also lined up as usual with no social distancing at all these vendors. There was no, like I said, hand sanitizer uh, other than the ones that are always there. We travel all the time and those ones are always there uh, at the transaction points. There wasn't any. So, uh, you, you'd wish, you hear that there is great screening and new screening measures going in. As of, you know, Saturday this past weekend, a couple of days ago, there was nothing additionally really other than those couple questions. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of is concerning from that perspective. I realize this hit very fast. Well, yeah. I know two other people, Ryan, who came from international flights who, who arrived over the past week. Um, from overseas, and they essentially said the same thing that there that there was no additional screening. Yeah. Um, one of them said they weren't even told by the customs official to to yeah. self isolate. So it's uh, and I've I've been reading some other articles online as well about um, people coming through with the same stories. So pretty uh, pretty disappointing because you'd think that you know you're having a lot of Canadians come back overseas. Um, you'd want to make sure that there's, you know, that you're you're questioning them and and keeping an eye out. Maybe even reading temperatures. Like some co- countries yeah. are reading temperatures, well, but yeah, certainly I mean, on uh, that, verbally you, explaining to them the importance of, of self isolation and and what on, what sorry, that means. I didn't mean to cut you, but on that point on uh, taking temperatures, we had a couple, and this is anecdotal. Obviously, a lot of this stuff is, but uh, they they got they had gone into the Ukraine and they were. Uh, their temperature was taken before they got off the plane. They weren't allowed to come off in the Ukraine before their temperature was taken. So, uh, you know, taking it a little more seriously in those parts, uh, it seems. And, uh, you know, that that is what we would stress to all everybody out there. It's just, you know, you got to take this event seriously, for sure. Absolutely. So uh, you, were, you were on Money Talks with Michael Campbell this weekend. How was that experience? How did that go? Did a show. Um, as always, it was... I. I, I think it was a great show. I, I, I second I liked that. It. Um, it was good. Obviously, you know, the topic was was not uh, was not as positive as I would like it to mm-hmm. be, um, given what's happened to the markets over the past month here. It's it's been, you know, pretty crat- pretty catastrophic. Uh, at the time the markets were down about thirty five percent, they're down a couple percent today as well. But 
really what we're focused on is, well, what do we do next? And that's that's what the DIY conferences are about. So we spent time talking about Keystone strategy right now, what we're doing, if this changes the way that we look at stocks. And you know, ultimately, what we are looking to do is to invest in businesses that are making money, that can produce significant cash flow, um, have strong balance sheets, um, preferably net cash and no debt. Um, and that whose whose growth and future profitability is not completely dependent on cyclical um, drivers, and that doesn't change. I would say that those principles become even more important in this type of a market, particularly the balance sheet. And we've always said, when you're buying a company, you have to make sure that that company is not overly levered with debt. And when the market is strong, when the economy is strong, companies are able to to grow their debt balances. Um, increase earnings by increasing debt and get away with it. But it's when the economy contracts that uh, that they really get into trouble. So focusing on the balance sheet, what is different right now, I think, for us is that given the level of uncertainty, I would say that we're, we're extremely cautious. Now, we're still buying stocks, but we're doing that in a very gradual and measured pace. So not aggressively going into this market. Even though the market's down, 35 plus percent right now, there's really a lot of uncertainty with respect to how this global shutdown is going to turn out economically over the next couple of months. We just don't know what's going to happen, but we know that there is going to be a lot of financial pain felt across literally almost every sector. So we're being very cautious. We're doing a lot of research. We're building up a, we've built up a list of about 150 cash rich businesses in our US research. These are companies that have little to no debt, lots of cash, um, have profitability. So now we're going through those companies and determining, well, which of these companies are going to be able to uh, maintain their profitability over the next several years and are well positioned in this type of environment. And then in our, our, our small cap research, we're doing something similar. We have a cash rich report which will be coming out in, with small caps, Canadian small caps. And then for our Canadian dividend research, what we're doing is we're just going back through and looking at every dividend pair in Canada, every publicly traded dividend pair in Canada, and identifying the ones that we think have the, the best chance of being able to navigate through this crisis and come out the other end of it even stronger while also paying a dividend to investors. So a lot of work going on, doing a lot of research, and then updating our clients with commentary as to where we see the market right now. Yeah, and we'll be there every week on our two chat sessions for clients to log in and ask questions. And uh, if they've got any questions or concerns, we'll be there each week for an hour uh, on Monday and Wednesdays to answer those questions. And you know, we're part of the things we're going to talk about in the seminar too is how not you know you're trying to pick a, an exact bottom is is very difficult in a market like this. And if you want to, if you find great companies, good cash balances, good cash flow that have resilient businesses, you know, starting to take you know a twenty five percent position, and then we'll go on into that strategy of layering in in those seminars. And uh, if our clients want to ask us about that in the in the chat sessions, we're there because we do believe. And are very confident that there will be generational opportunities once again coming out of this crisis. There always has been over the past 100 plus years uh, uh, of market activity. Uh, I know this seems like a 
a, an event that is different from any other event that we've ever experienced in the market. And it is to some respect what I believe in the resilience of uh, individuals and individual companies out there. And the companies, we've been talking about company, buying companies with cash-rich balance, cash balance sheets for, for decades. Uh, this doesn't change. It just becomes more of a focus now. Uh, and I think we will have those generational opportunities coming out of this. Now, I have one thing I'm going to shift gears slightly here. Uh, you know, I follow Twitter. I have an account on there. I don't post a lot, but, you know, I just kind of get the flavor of where the market is, or you can take a temperature of the market. Twitter, I have to say, is not really a bastion of positivity at the best of times and tends to be alarmist uh, generally. Uh, and it's flourishing right now in that regard. Um, I picked off a couple of quick quotes uh, that I mean, maybe we can have some commentary on right now. Um, there was a quote, I'm not going to say who said this, but it's just a quote out there that's saying, I'm the CEO of a small company that processes payments, processes payments for small businesses. Our data shows that 50% of the small business revenue is gone already. Meanwhile, Walmart stock is at a record high and Amazon is hiring 100,000 people. No joke, we're on a path towards small business extension, swallowed whole. Well, I'm not surprised to see um, uh, small businesses have sales come down 50% in a, you know, in a crisis situation. Um, that, uh, you know, a lot of those small businesses could be, you know, somebody making additional socks for people or making scarves or anything like that. Some of those businesses have grown very well. Uh, in a crisis, in a recession, any type of recession, this is a unique one, but a driven recession, but... Um, you see a pullback in non-essential items. Uh, you, I, I can see on tr Twitter too that people are extrapolating that 50 to 70% decline forever on into the future. Now, it may last a year. It may last six months. We're not certain at this point. But you know, spending does come back. But the issue is companies that did not save for a rainy day, companies that did not have cash on hand for a downturn and over leveraged. It does appear that, you know, those are the companies we're avoid, but it does appear that there's a huge generation also on the other flip side here of investors who have never gone through a recession. Like this is what goes on in a recession. Sales of non-essential items take a big hit. It's a special case we see here, but it's, typical for this to happen it doesn't typically happen in a week's time or a couple days time uh, but it does happen you say you see non-essential items you know the sales in those items get hit hard uh, it doesn't mean they don't come back at some point so you have to you know i i I would expect this to be the situation having small businesses and a lot of companies out there face significant declines in their sales over the next couple quarters. That doesn't mean they don't come back at one point. So we need to understand that, you know, you can't extrapolate out 50% sale declines forever in these businesses. So if you're watching Twitter and you're watching those sources and you see, you know, end of the world type scenarios, um, you know, I don't believe that we're going into an end of the world business type scenario here. I believe that there is going to be a significant pullback. People are going to have hard times in the near term, but we believe that there will be also opportunities and great businesses out there. And uh, being alarmist and not having anything that we can do on the positive side in terms of pulling together as a society, I don't think serves anybody well. 
but yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd like to, you know, agree with that. And, and the opposite's also true. I know we just kind of slightly talked about it earlier, but, you know, cannabis sales have kind of had a little bit of a spike, but, you know, we wouldn't expect those to continue to go uh, on into the future just because of course. Yeah, that's your stockpiling, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just because yeah, exactly. there's been just because there's been a huge run on toilet paper doesn't mean that society actually needs more toilet paper. Exactly. It means people are building up inventory and there's a lot know, of I wiping necessarily, going on. Right? Yeah. I, I wouldn't necessarily go and, and buy toilet paper manufacturers right now. I possibly it's something you could look at. You know they're gonna be making money over the next couple of months here. Um, but it's not like you can now say that because sales in that area increased, yeah. you know, 20, 30, 50% or whatever it is that you that you can expect more yeah. growth going forward. Actually, you could probably at some point expect less when the toilet paper market gets completely saturated and people realize they have entire rooms full of hoarded toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so all the, all, all the, you know, the, the stockpiling demand, at some point there's a gap where you don't need to fill that in and these companies actually do worse at some point. Uh, because, you know, like like we said, there's not people, you're not wiping suddenly more. You know, that no. doesn't suddenly happen. So you're just you're, you're stockpiling that toilet paper. You're probably conserving things more than yes, you were before, you, yeah, of if course. that's a concern. So you're extrapolating demand and buying those companies and like buying a company that supplies, uh, you know, some kind of medical service that's needed shorter term, you know, is is sometimes, uh, you know, you can't extrapolate that demand going forward. I mean, we can definitely get into talking about like changes in behavior, like and and Brennan had mentioned that. Of which or, there will Aaron be many. There will yes. be many changes. Yes. So those are those are themes. Yeah, those are themes that we really want to look at. Like, do do people work more from home? Do you become more virtual? Do those services like and do you? Those are themes that can be extended long term like the short-term buying of toilet paper or buy you know stockpiling and goods like costco is doing tremendously well or you know your safeways your save-ons that you can order online these are doing extremely well short term uh you know people aren't just eating more they're stockpiling so we don't want to extrapolate that demand out forever but you do want to look at changes in behavior and uh, how sustainable those are and whether or so not this if yeah yeah, I, I yeah. was just gonna. I was just gonna say. So this essentially this accelerates the trend towards online shopping more than likely. A lot of retail operations will probably go out of business permanently. Um, maybe they were on track to go out of business, you know, over the next couple of years, anyways. Um, but this will accelerate that, and a lot of people who have an online shop before are going to online shop, decide that they like it. Um, a yeah. lot of business meetings people are going to realize that you know that that business meeting in face that took two hours didn't actually have to be done face to face it could mm -hmm. have been done with a couple email exchanges um education you know people are going to realize you don't have to sit in a lecture hall just to listen to somebody talk you can actually do and that even uh, in, virtually. in our business in our business we've been doing a, a good deal of our operations online for a you know for a decade really uh, and it's becoming more and more accepted to conduct financial advice and, and services online. Uh, we're not, you know, we see a pickup in demand. I mean, our, our seminar is 75% sold a day and a half after or two days after releasing it um, because people see this is the way, you know, that we see in the future. There's more acceptance of these. Uh, type of practices and we can keep in constant contact with our clients we've been having these chat sessions every week 
for a decade twice a week, uh, clients appreciate that. They, they don't have to go into a branch to talk to somebody uh, about a stock they bought or anything. They can just log on, ask the question, log off. And if they, you know, if there's a question or if that stock has something happened with it that week, they can look at our archives. So, you know, these type of businesses actually, you know, we're, we're, we're getting a bump in business now, which is nice to see. Certainly. And I'd have to say you also have to look at the flip side of obviously some retailers are going to have problems. Um, yeah. But then you also have to ask yourself, well, what does that mean for companies that own a lot of retail properties? Um, the mm-hmm. landlords of these companies, like shopping malls, were already um, under pressure, and and people are transitioning away from from shopping malls. That's probably going to accelerate now, and even office space too. If more people end up working from their homes, and it's it's unknown at this point the extent to which that would happen, um, but that would take demand uh, away from 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 office real estate, commercial real estate as well. So. It, it's it's a very uh, it's a very complicated time right now, and um, there yeah. are businesses out there that we're looking at that we're highly confident are going to do well in the future. Um, as things digitalize, we we have recommendations in the cloud computing space, um, data management, data analytics, cybersecurity. I mean, these spaces will continue to be strong. Um, staple businesses, uh, automation. There's an argument. There's just it. it What's happening just strengthens the argument towards automation. So companies that work in that area, which we also have um, recommendations on, imagine if we could automate segments, more segments of the supply chain and of the healthcare Mm -hmm. industry, we would be better positioned to to deal with this. So, you know, uh, Amazon had talked in the past about using drones to deliver supplies. Well, maybe every package doesn't have to be delivered by a drone, but in a situation like this, it would certainly be um, a benefit to society to have infrastructure in place where you can automatically deliver goods and services or goods and packages without any human involvement. Yes, and then you, you got drones or you got self-driving cars. So you got companies that we cover in those areas that are leaders. So yeah, I mean, it's and, and you talked about, you know, maybe retail REITs. But do warehouse REITs uh, become more with with more exactly. shipping and we, more warehousing? And we just made a recommendation there, right? So, we did. Yeah. So, so I mean, uh, ahead of this, yeah. And does that company, you know, which has less leverage than a lot of REITs out there, um, does that become far more attractive? Now we think so. So coming out of this crisis, who's in a better position? Well, that is one recommendation that we just made to our clients. So, you know, it's probably well positioned at this point. So, uh, was there was there other topics we were going to touch on today, Brian? Brian you, I had think you, said you had a couple questions. Yeah. Questions. Yeah, I've got you know just taking a little bit of a tangent here, but uh, you know, of course, you know it's not good for Canada, but oil has been hurting as well, as we all know. Um, you know, and I'm just with our Canadian dollar being at uh, one of its lowest points relative to the U.S. dollar in about 18 years. You know, I just want to get your guys's thoughts on would we be hesitant to invest in the u.s as you know uh, there's quite a few companies that we have uh under coverage that you know are getting more into my price range that i'd like to enter positions even for myself um but again just seeing that uh that canadian dollar very weak to the u.s um like 
would you guys uh, recommend clients, you know, wait through the COVID and then if it's still, if the Canadian dollar is still that weak, would you still take positions? You know, what, what's your guys' thought on that? Well, uh, well uh, yeah, Aaron, you want to start? Sure, sure. So first of all, we, we, we would, we, we would, we continue to see opportunities in, in the U.S. And once again, we're, we're not aggressively buying U.S. stocks right now, but there are certainly companies that we think are, are very well positioned to um, survive and thrive through this. They have a lot of cash-rich businesses in the U.S., uh, a lot of technology companies that are at the forefront of innovation um, and solving problems like what we're dealing with today. So, and these are companies that where there simply is no substitute up here in Canada. So absolutely, we would still be investors in the US. I wouldn't worry too much about the Canadian dollar. We've, we've, we've put out research before in our DIY sen- seminars um, and shown how because the US market outperforms the Canadian market generally by such a, a wide margin, even in years where you've where Canadian investors have lost a, a, a significant amount of money on the currency, they still benefited um, by investing in the US market because the the stocks down there performed um, so much better overall. So right now the the Canadian dollar is at about uh, 68 cents. Um, before this crisis happened, it was at about, it was at about 75 cents. That's only about a 10% difference, more or less, right? So you're talking about maybe losing 10% on the currency, maybe, um, but you have the opportunity to invest in companies that could produce returns in excess of Canadian counterparts far, far beyond that 10%. So we wouldn't, as long-term investors, we would not be, we, we would not avoid the U.S. markets um, due to the currency. Yeah, really good points. Like there's some there's there's some companies that you just can't. There's no substitutes in Canada, and you don't uh, like if you wanted to invest in a great cash rich software company that has high you know recurring sales. There's not a ton of those in Canada, and there's a bunch in the U.S. that you could look at. Um, if you want that type of business, you're going to have to look in the U.S. If you suffer you know a five or ten percent loss in the currency. Um, and the stock goes up thirty percent. You know, you're netting twenty five to twenty percent. Uh, you know, and and your equivalent. I mean, like the Canadian market is fifty percent resource, right? So and, and financials. Like there's sectors that we don't want to be in right now. So we want to look at these. Not a lot of substitutes. The other thing is, um, I mean, you can also. There's a strategy that we also use for um, investing in. There's. TSX listed companies that do all their business in the U.S. So they're com- taking their U.S. dollars back uh, and th- they can be opportunities right now because you're converting back to Canadian dollars and you're getting paid in U.S. dollars. And even if sales are flat, uh, you have growth uh, there in terms of the currency. Now, you don't make investments specifically for that. It has to be a good business to start with. But, um, you know, there are some opportunities there and companies co- companies that have held Canadian listed companies that have held U.S. dollars and, you know, suddenly they're worth in Canadian dollars a lot more at this point. Um, and they make, make some purchases in Canada from that cash that's on hand. Uh, the other thing I would say is the Canadian dollar can always go up lower. You know, like it, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, 68 is the bottom or anything like that. So um, trying to time a point where the exact point to get back into the market. You want to look at the businesses you hold in your portfolio, not the currency that you hold them in, to be honest. Uh, it's, it's the great businesses that you hold in your portfolio that is most important at this stage. 
and that's it what's going to drive the performance long term. Yeah, I would yeah, say yeah. for for our strategy in the U.S., which is a which is a longer term investment strategy, we would we wouldn't pay much attention to the currency. Yeah. And we we even hold a couple companies that you know pay are trading on the TSX that pay us a dividend in U.S. dollars, right? So that's very attractive right now. So. Uh, you know, it increases the yield and it has. So uh, continue to hold those businesses over the long term. So sorry, Brandon, I'll let you go. No, no, that was good. I, I appreciate the answer. That's very thorough. Um, and yeah, it's good. Like Aaron actually pointing out, you know, it's only really depreciated, you know, 10% relative where we've had some companies that uh, have outperformed the market drastically. And when you're taking off a 10% currency exchange from, you know, an 800% return or something like that, or even like a 400% return, you know, really it, it doesn't mean much. So no, thanks for answering that for, for me guys. Um, now another question here. So uh, of course, as we all know as well, um, the, uh, the US and Canada have uh, recently lowered rates, of course, to uh, try to increase economic stimulus. Now, I know we don't really have any, um, or too many financial companies under coverage in our research, but you know, do you think that there's going to be a concern for insurance companies and banks as you know they're possibly going to get into trouble not getting that net interest income um, with interest rates being well, low? Any one thing there? for sure is that there is going to be historic levels of stimulus to shore up the the banking system because if the banking system fails, um, it brings the entire economy down with it. Uh, so the, the the government does want does not want that. So right now banks are allowing people to defer mortgages, um, to defer mortgage payments. I believe up to six months because they know that a lot of um, people are going to be losing their jobs. Um, a lot of people who will continue to have jobs are going to be trapped in their homes and not able to go to them potentially. And uh, a lot of renters aren't going to be able to pay their rent. And this is going to be something that that continues for at least the next several months. So uh, the banks don't want to foreclose on 50% of the properties across the country. Obviously, that wouldn't be good for them. It wouldn't be good for the economy. So this really comes down to a government problem in terms of making sure that the banks, the big banks anyways, stay a, a going concern. Now, that doesn't mean that the banks won't be expected to bear their uh, or a share of the financial pain. I'm sure they, they will. You know, banking has always been seen as a great place to get a stable dividend um, that grows over time. And I would not be surprised if banks decide that they have to suspend dividends temporarily as we get through this crisis just to retain more capital. Now, that wouldn't necessarily be a horrible thing if they only do that for a period of time, like say six months, um, and 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 then they reinstate those dividends once we're in the clear. But I would say that in the financial space, there's certainly there, there's there's a huge amount of uncertainty. Nobody knows exactly what um, what the solution's going to be or what the fallout's going to look like. We're just going to learn that over the next uh, couple of months here. But it's not going to be a problem that the banks. Are going to be expected to just bear on their own. They're going to need. They're going to need support from government coffers. Let's just say the government's going to have to w wave their magic wand and, and create some money out of nowhere. I guess, <laughs> which you can do for a little while, yeah. but but you, yeah. it, it stops working once people lose confidence in uh, in the buying power of the currency, and then you get hyperinflation, and that that causes all sorts of problems. So, 
Yeah, and in the U.S., uh, in the financial crisis, they they quasi basically recapitalize their banks. So they are supposedly in a better position, but again, it's the same type of thing. There's going to have they're not going to bear the brunt of the the full brunt of the any financial crisis that is there because uh, you know they are you know you need that banking system to be operating. So. Uh, and they would yes, fail. Yeah. They would fail if if they the the banks aren't designed to be able to last a year or more with people not paying mortgages mm-hmm. and rent. I mean, I'm not saying that 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 that's the time period that um that will be in this trouble. I'm just saying that nobody knows for sure. Nobody can pinpoint for sure how long it's going to take to get out of this. And this is a societal yeah. issue. I mean, this isn't this this is an issue that all of society's dealing with. So. Anybody who's saying, well, you know, you shouldn't bail out the banks. Well, I don't consider that bailing out the banks. No. That's just, that's just putting policies in place that, that support society from completely collapsing and our economic system from collapsing. I think that can be done. Um, but I think that there's going to be financial pain. I think that the, I think that we'll adapt. I think that the economy will adapt. Um, there'll be, there'll be some winners. There'll be, you know, losers as well, obviously, but, I think we will adapt over time. It's just a matter of, you know, what that period looks like and how long it lasts. And, and nobody can say for sure right now. Yeah, and, and and like you said, this is a societal issue. We're talking the financial side, but as a society, we really do have to come together. And if I can, we can do a small part by just saying to any of the listeners out there, just like, if you can, just stay home If over this period. If we can, you know, two to three, four weeks, a month, if we can just stay home and really take it seriously, practice that social distancing. Uh, in front of my house uh, here, uh, we have the largest pier in the country. And uh, over the last five days, uh, it's been packed on sunny days out there, people walking down that pier. So the largest pier in Canada packed. I mean, come on. Uh, get some common sense. Give your head a shake. Uh, practice the social distancing if you have to go out. But uh, is it really that difficult to, you know, if you can stay home for two to four weeks with your family, uh, get to know those people a little more, maybe uh, see who is in your family, spend some time with your uh, family. And this is what we have to do. Like I've heard this many times. We are not asking society to go off to war, you know, like our, our kids to go off to war or anything like that. We're asking you just to stay home. Uh, it's not that difficult. I, I understand governments can help out. That's where governments can step up and send a check to everybody, give some rent holidays. It's what's needed in the near term. But if we can stop the curve, you know, flatten out the curve, as people have been saying, just do your part and, and don't be stupid. It's just, it just, you know, you don't have to do everything right now. Yeah, that's all we need. Yeah. Good public service announcement. Uh, yeah, and I, th- I think that there is an opportunity long term here for people, societies, countries to get yeah. together and cooperate so that we can get ourselves out of this, get through the, the health care crisis, and then get the economy going again. Um, and that's yeah. going to be a major task. But I think that it's it's an opportunity for us all to do our part Um and and work together and cooperate to to achieve that goal and i'm confident we can do it and i'm confident we will do it because i believe that human beings are very well incentivized um to cooperate so that we can you know we can we can uh grow our economy we can have enjoy a a good standard of living 
and hopefully um, some security as well for our families. Yeah, and, and pull off that Band-Aid quickly. Don't just pull it off slowly. As uh, governments, individuals, uh, get it done. Spend some time at home if you can, and uh, let's stop the spread. Okay, that's what I would say. I'm going to thank Aaron and uh, Brennan for co-hosting with me this week. Uh, I'm going to wish you all profitable investing out there and be safe, obviously. And uh, we'll talk uh, again at this time next week. Yes, profitable investing. um, Most importantly, be safe, stay healthy. Thanks, everybody.